Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Subscribe on iTunes at Toddcast Podcast. Justin here. Justin, Todd Hancock here in Vancouver. Howdy, Todd. How you doing? Good, man. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Just giving up some uh, cauliflower, actually. Right on. Right on. Well, thank you for taking some time <laughs> here to join us in uh, in Vancouver, Canada. Definitely. Yeah, man. We're looking forward to your show, and I can't believe it's at the Wise Hall. This is going to be freaking amazing, dude. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I don't know what that is. It's it's such a rad venue, East Vancouver. You're going to love playing there, man. It's such a cool room. Dope. Okay, yeah. sounds good. Yeah, man. So May 29, uh, Bad Cop, Bad Cop, and Grumpster will be on the tour. This is awesome bill, dude. Awesome bill. Yeah, it is a, it is a killer bill. And I mean, you know, a p- punk is alive and well. Oh, totally. Um, you know, we were we we've been touring with just some amazing young bands that are coming up. Uh, we were just out with Made of Ace and uh, Dream Nails. Uh, we, you know, we were out with Creepshow, another great Canadian band uh, from Toronto. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, just there's so much good punk happening right now. The Homeless Gospel Choir. Uh, it's just really exciting. Yeah. You know, when that uh, Rage Against the Machine um, Run the Jewels show, the tour was announced, I was like, man, Anti-Flag would be fucking rad on that tour. <laughs> well, I agree, but the call never came. But, uh, <laughs> Not if, yet, if the anyway. call comes, we'll, we'll be there. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, Justin, let's go back to the beginning. This is before you're in any bands at all. What's the music in the Giver house as a kid growing up? Like, what are your parents playing you? Yeah, right. I, I grew up Justin Giever, but I was dubbed by the punk rock scene Justin, Justin Sane. Sane. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'm the youngest of nine kids. My parents were nine. Irish Catholic. Wow. Yeah. Dude, that's so, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Catholics, you know, uh, especially like very traditional Catholics, uh, don't practice birth control. My parents are a perfect <laughs> example of that. Yes. Um, so nine kids. Um wow. My dad's from Ireland. Both of my mom's parents are from Ireland, but my mom was born in the States. So Irish music was huge on our house, and we, our, our parents kind of encouraged everyone to learn an instrument. So we kind of had, like, our own little Irish band. We were sort of like the Pogues of, of Pittsburgh, you know, <laughs> just like, right. but only, of course, within our own house. So <laughs> Irish music was really big, but then, you know, coming from such a big family, um, there was just some a diversity of music, you know, like my sister was more into like Jackson Brown and, uh, my brother was into kiss. Uh, you know, uh, my sister was, my other sister was into punk. So there was a real diversity of music and everything from like Bob Dylan to Bob Marley to, you know, you, you name it, Fleetwood Mac, you know? And, but the, the thing that really resonated with me was, was punk music and, you know, really, uh, growing up around like the Ramones and the Clash and the Sex Pistols, and that that really kind of captured my imagination. Mm-hmm. So you'd say though those were the first uh, few bands to kind of really grab a hold of you then? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, it's but but what really sort of sealed the deal for me with punk because I hadn't really fallen in love with punk in a in in a you know just in a way that I was I was aware of it and actively decided to start searching out more punk, but. When I was in about seventh grade, my sister played spray paint the walls by Black Flag for me. Okay, yeah. And if you if you've never heard that song, you want to go listen to it as soon as we're done talking because uh, <laughs> I heard that song and I was like, whatever this is, I need more of it. Mm-hmm. And what was your first concert that you attended? How old were you? Well, my sister was just you know really young, um, like first and second grade, and I, you know I just kind of tag along. Um, and, and th- those were like all local shows. Um, Southern Ramones when I was probably like eleven or twelve. Wow. Um, and and that was like uh, you know just that was the first show where I was like really cognizant of like this is something that that's really special. And it was you know it was it was like a it was a real show. You know, it was a little bit more than just like going to somebody's basement yeah. and realizing that like. Well, this music connects with a lot of people, and it's really important to a lot of people. Hmm. How old were you when you, you know, picked up a guitar and, and, and grabbed some buddies and, and started to actually, you know, bang out some tunes? Yeah, well, the sister I keep referring to is my sister Lucy, and um, she kind of was responsible for me playing guitar. Hmm. Um, and uh, originally, she helped me buy a drum set from uh, a local band called Car Sickness. They were like local punk band um so i started as a drummer and then she bought me a guitar when i was about 15 an electric guitar and i just kind of went and went from there with guitar um and about the same time i saw the movie another state of mind which um if you've never seen it it's a it's like an hour-long documentary about um you know, some a group of LA punk bands um, that drive across North America. Uh, it was Social Distortion and Youth Brigade. They both bands from LA, mm-hmm. and they bought a school bus and they they all pile in the school bus and they awesome. put together like a, a DIY punk rock tour in 1982. Wow! Um, and that I, I'd never heard music like Social Distortion before. And it, it was their, their mommy's little monster era. And um, the guitar playing of Mike Ness just really captured my imagination. I was like, wow, I, I want to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, Mike Ness was like my earliest influence pretty much on on guitar as far as like wanting to learn a style, you know, the style that kind of, that I probably play most today. Yeah, yeah. I and then that, that movie is really amazing. I mean, they... They go through all of Canada. They um, they go to D.C. They stay at the Discord House with Minor Threat. Um, it's it's an amazing like time capsule of what was happening in early punk. It's a really interesting movie. And then <clears throat> our drummer Pat Dedek, he is my best friend, and we we both saw that movie together, and we were like. Let's do that. You know, like we're going to buy a school bus. We're, we're going to do that. So, um, and, and so it was kind of all kicked off from, from about that time. Yeah. And especially like 1982, nobody was doing that shit. 
No, literally, I mean, they made it up. I mean, they were six pioneers of, like, touring punk bands. Like, they kind of had to just piece it all together as they went and, you know, trying to get a phone number from somebody who knows somebody in the next town. And mm-hmm. um, and that's how a lot of bands toured in, in the old days. When we started touring in the mid, early to mid-90s, we would do the same thing. I mean, you'd, you'd be out in the van and play, you know, a punk house somewhere and and didn't really even have another show booked, you know, for like the next week. And you just talk to people there and they'd be like, oh, we know these people in this next city. Here's their number. You know, ask for scuds, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, you'd call and, you know, he's like, yo, is scuds there? And he's like, yeah, it's the scuds. And nice. you're like, oh, I got your number from Billy in Milwaukee. He said to call you, you oh, know, okay. we're coming through town and could you organize a show? And, you know, somebody would set up a show in their basement for you. And 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 that's how a lot of a lot of bands did it in the early days. Now, of course, there's the internet and yeah, it's just totally it's a lot easier. Yeah. And I, I I don't wish that back. I don't wish that back <laughs> for anybody. I mean, there's a lot of there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of debacles, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was part of the fun too. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, new Anti Flag 2020 Vision. Uh, it's been up for about a month now. Um, you guys are past the three decade mark, which is insane uh no pun intended does it <laughs> does it get easier to write and record anti-flag records over the years yeah I, I would say it does i mean for a lot of reasons i mean for one reason we're just better at our instruments we're better at right. writing songs. songwriters um, mm-hmm. yeah excuse me i take a drink a lot of your um yeah i mean you you know, when you do something for a long time, hopefully you get better at it. So <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> um, right, right. So, I mean, what may have taken me, you know, five hours to record a guitar track on a record back in the old days, I might be able to do it now in 20 minutes, right. you know, so it, and, and it sounds better than it would have back then. Right. So that's just a result of practice and getting better. And, um, so just from a technical side, it's a lot easier to record a record because we're just better players. And then there, there's also, you know, the technology has changed so much. I mean, you, you can make a mistake now and right. it's not a big deal. I mean, back in the old days, if you're, you're recording the tape and you had to play it perfect, there's there no, you know, sometimes like you would literally, literally have to play the song all the way through from beginning to start or beginning to end right. and not make a mistake. And now you and can just be like, yeah, you know what, we'll, we'll punch that in now. Don't worry about that. Right. We'll just do it again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Justin, when I, when I mentioned on, on social media that you were coming on to be a guest, of course, lots of anti-flag uh, fan questions and I want to make sure I get through those. Uh, cool. Yeah. Mike is wondering when you find time, what are you currently binge watching? <laughs> well, I, you know, because the new Star Wars movie came out, yeah. uh, The Rise of Skywalker, I kind of went back and I've been doing a lot of Star Wars. Um, and I actually watched uh, The Rise of Skywalker again last night. Um, <laughs> I've been on tour in Europe for a month, so, and, and I just got home. Uh, just I've been home about 24 hours now, so right. I'm just kind of winding down and, and watching whatever I want to and you know, hanging out with the dog and being lazy. So. Yeah. Um, and I'll get back to real life tomorrow, but I'm taking a day off. So, yeah. but yeah, so right now I'm kind of like in a total Star Wars mode, which is 
which is pretty dope. Mm, which is the best Star Wars movie? You know, I think it's the first movie of this current trilogy, mm. which is, what is it, The Last Jedi? Mm, so it's the, the first, mo- the first yeah. movie with Ray. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's my, to me that's the best out of mm. all the Star Wars movies. I think that one because you know Han Solo comes back, Princess Leia comes back, the Millennium Falcon, Chewie. I mean, and and the new characters are just so strong. Um, you know, so for all of those reasons, I think uh, with Finn and Poe and Ray, BB-8, it's like. They just they brought in all these really great new characters, and they brought back these really strong, amazing characters. And at the very end, the cliffhanger, she finds Luke Skywalker. Right. It's like, holy shit. I mean, <laughs> it, it really, it has it all. That surprised me, man. I honestly thought you were going to go, you know, New Hope, uh, maybe Empire. I don't know. That's a surprising you know, I answer. Really, I mean, I... I really enjoy the old ones. I think they're a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, I don't, um, and I'm not like somebody who holds Star Wars to a high standard. I mean, <laughs> I think Star Wars movies were meant to be fun. They totally. weren't meant to be, you know, critical, critically acclaimed masterpieces of, of uh, so drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Have you checked <laughs> out the, the Mandalorian? Have you watched that on, uh, on Disney, Disney Plus yet? Because, dude, no, that's, you know what I have? that's good. I haven't got around to it, but I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, Sam's got a question. I think this is uh, almost virtually impossible, but I'll ask anyway. Sam okay, goes, great. Uh, which bands are in your top five? Oh. Uh, that's hard, man. That's, a, that's actually pretty easy for me. Um, the Clash is my number one. Okay. The Ramones or Rancid are my number two. Um, because... Well, the Pogues would be four mm. for me. And just because, you know, right now, Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols is not a person that I look up to or, you know, I, like I would say not really a person that I respect for his political point of view. He's kind of a shithead, and I, I almost hate to say this, but it's just undeniable that, Never mind the bollocks by the Sex Pistols is just probably the most brilliant punk record of all time. Yeah. I mean, it just it sounds so good. There was nothing like it. The lyrics are brilliant. The vocals are amazing. The guitar playing, the drumming. I mean, it's just it's got it all. Mm-hmm. And and it was the first of its kind. So um, I have to put the Sex Pistols at number five, even though I think that their legacy has been really tarnished. Mm. And of course, going back to the, uh, what we were just talking about the, you know, there's no pro tools back then that's live to tape. They're, you know, they're ripping it and they're making sure that that one take is on point. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, it's like a flawless record. It's, it's kind of hard to believe that it was made when it was made, yeah, especially when you compare totally. it to other, other things at the time. At the time. Totally. Like it was like, what the, f- who the fuck is this? Who is this? Yeah. Man? I mean, go back and listen to it. If you haven't listened to that record, it's, Sit down with the lyrics and just listen to the record. I mean, it's 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 like mind blowing how good it is. Totally, yeah. It it just it holds up so well. Yeah, yeah. Trevor writes, um, your band is well known for the political activism. What do you make of today's U.S. politics? This feels like a loaded question. Well, I mean, I, I think 
it's an, important to talk about just in that we're not living in normal times. I mean, we right now have a president that has normalized racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, um, bigotry in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's important that, that we acknowledge that so that we can push back against it. And, and, you know, I think it's important for us to state publicly where we stand right now and to know that, um, you know, it, it's not a time where, I, where people can sit on the sidelines. I, I, I just think that, you know, I don't want to, in 10 years, somebody to ask me, how the fuck did you let that happen? Mm-hmm. And for me just to say, yeah, I didn't raise my voice. I didn't, I didn't uh, try to push back against that. Um, but, you know, I think the antidote to it in a lot of ways, because our politics is so divisive right now, and it's so ugly, uh, you know, just in the fact that we literally have a president who encourages his followers to commit violence against other citizens of our country right. um, and people who are different than them. Um, and, and for that reason, I think the antidote to that is kindness. You know, I think in 2020, it's punk as fuck to be kind. Um, because the status quo is to, to be a, a racist, bigoted xenophobe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, making that extra effort, you know, just to be good to the people around you. And, you know, so I've, I'm honestly like, I've been making a conscious effort when I'm in public, like to be more thoughtful of people, to be more mindful of people. Um, and, and of course, in my personal life, too. Yeah, well said. You know, uh, as the innocent bystander up in Canada, you know, watching, it, yeah. it feels like uh, Bernie Sanders could take it. Yeah, I mean, um, I always believe that Bernie had a really, really strong chance because of the ground game that he put in place in 2016. And then he just never stopped running. You know, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Big time. And so Bernie has in, in, in politics, especially electoral politics, having a ground game is so important. And he has that with, you know, uh, his Our revolution organization, which he started in 2016. And that organization went on to support a slew of, uh, of progressive candidates, including, uh, AOC. Um, and so, um, you know, he's got a, and then he's just got an army of volunteers. I'm one of them. And, uh, and about an hour, I'm going to go get, uh, I'm going to go try to get signatures on a petition uh, to make sure that Bernie can run in Pennsylvania. Oh. Um, or actually, no, I'm sorry, it's not for that. It's for, it's for delegates um, for Bernie in Pennsylvania. Okay. So, um, that said, I mean, Bernie has to beat not only, you know, the other candidates that he's working around and he, he's got to beat the DNC who are working against him, and he, and he's got to beat uh, for-profit media that is just out to get him. So he's got a lot of odds against him, but, um, you know, he has a base that is really loyal and committed. And, um, you know, it, it's amazing. Um, when I have conversations with people about the things that, Bernie stands for universal health care, living wage, uh, dealing with the climate crisis, which, you know, 
part of Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal is also an economic fix, and it's a jobs plan. So it's not only we're going to save the planet, but it's also we're going to redirect our economy into a green economy, which is going to create a lot of new jobs. And there's also provisions in there to help support people with a living while they transition into a new economy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a, you know, when you sit down and you talk to people, if they're willing to listen, I mean, once you get through all the rhetoric and all the bullshit, um, it, it's a lot of people find that they actually support a lot of the things that, that Bernie believes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting, you know, next year. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I will say like, again, it's going to be, you're right. It's going to be really hard, even if Bernie gets a nomination, because right now, um, where the Republicans hold state offices, they are purging voter rolls. They've, they've done it in, uh, in, in Wisconsin. They've done it in Florida. Um, in states that are really, really close or were really close last time, uh, the Republicans are working, uh, very tirelessly to scrub Democratic voters from mm-hmm. the road, uh, from from voter rolls, and there have been a lot of lawsuits brought against this happening. But um, the Republicans have been really strategic over the last thirty years, and what's happening is these cases are going up in front of judges that were put in place by Republicans, and the judges are upholding uh, these these scrubbings of the voter rolls. Right, of course they are. So no matter who gets the Democratic nomination they're gonna be fighting against a system that's that's corrupt and you know against a party that's literally cheating right right uh justin i want to be respectful of your time uh i told you i'd be about 20 minutes i do want to bang through a few more of these uh fan questions and i want to know this one too just because i'm a huge uh, comic book fan myself uh, troy writes Who's your favorite superhero and your favorite superhero movie? <laughs> um, you know what? The, the original Avengers movie to me is just a bomb. Like, so good. I can't believe how good that movie yeah. is. I love it. Like, dude, I, I think um, that it was right out of the gate when John Favreau released the original Iron Man. It's like, what the? F- mm-hmm. So good, man. Yeah. Like, set the bar. Here's where you need to be. <laughs> otherwise, don't even make the movie. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. It's such a good movie. Um, and Tom Morello, speaking of Rage Against the Machine, he's in that movie. He's a uh, no, is he? He's one of the yeah. He's like one of like the terrorist faction that oh. uh, kidnaps Tony Stark. <laughs> and I, I think I think he gets blasted by Tony Stark. I think he's like the first one. Okay, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah, if you watch that closely, yeah, uh, you'll see Tom Morello in I, there, which is really cool. You'll see uh, Flea from the Chili Peppers in movies here and there too. I, I notice him like oh. he's like have the, the random cameo. Like where the where did that yeah. come from? What? <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. As for my favorite superhero, gosh, um, you know, actually, Captain America was the bomb. And uh, so I'm going to go with Captain America on this one, mm-hmm. which, which I know everybody's like, oh, that seems counterintuitive. <laughs> <laughs> totally right. And which, uh, which superpower would you want to have? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I so guess, I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't even really like understand the superpowers of some of these characters because it's like, 
they can get like totally annihilated and beaten to a pulp, but then all of a sudden they just get back up and they're totally fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems like a pretty good superpower. <laughs> um, Invincibility. I, yeah, but I guess like almost every kid, you know, at one point wishes they could fly. I mean, I think that, that to be able to fly would be really cool. I, um, a couple of years ago, for the very first time in my life, I rode in a helicopter. Oh. And if you've never ridden in a helicopter, save your pennies and find a helicopter tour somewhere and take it. It's, uh, it's just such a wild experience. Totally. Like you're just sitting it, there, and all of a not, sudden, you just shoot straight up into the air. Yeah. It, it, you, it's not even like flying in a plane at all. Like at all. No. No. Uh-uh. No, it's like magic. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> totally like it's, and it, it feels like a superpower. Like, like mm-hmm. you know, it feels like it, like the way you just lift up. So I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go with flying. All right. Do you believe aliens have visited Earth? Hmm. You know. Well, I, like if they have, you know, I mean, if if you have a civilization that is far enough advanced that they could swing by earth and take a peek. I think they would just keep going. I mean, we would <laughs> they look like, like nah, not really. Them. Not really. But yeah. Um, it would be, you know, I mean, we're still burning fossil fuels for uh, energy. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I don't think they would be overly interested. Um, that said, it's either going to go that way or, you know, our own history kind of tells us, and even Stephen Hawking said this, if aliens show up uh, at, 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 you know, planet Earth and, and they, you know, make themselves aware, it's lights out for us because, you know, just in the same way that when, you know, uh, the conquistadors rolled into South America, I mean, it, it just doesn't go well. <laughs> when advanced civilizations right. come into a, a civilization that's not as technologically advanced. Um, just to clarify, when I, when I say advanced, I mean technologically advanced. So, yeah, so hopefully um, that won't happen in our lifetimes or anytime <laughs> soon. Um, but, yeah, so I guess coming up with, with all those things said, no, I, I, I highly doubt that aliens have visited Earth. I, the, the universe is so so vast. I mean, I do believe there's other intelligent life out there. I just think that it has to be because it's so vast, but um, it, it, there just doesn't really seem to be any evidence that the aliens have visited Earth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, last I know is a boring answer. I'm sorry. No, not at all. Not at all. But he's uh, like, oh, come on. Dude. <laughs> That's cool. I'll just edit Can that shit out. make this a little fun? <laughs> Reptilian aliens are real. Totally. Uh, all right, I'll wrap it up with this one. Last question. It's an, a bit of an oddball. Have you ever had a near-death experience? And, and not where you're like floating over your body and yeah. floating to a light. More like, yeah. holy crap, man, I could have died there. Right. Well, the whole like, you know, out-of-body experience thing, that one, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of anything like quote-unquote supernatural. Mm. That one, though, intrigues me. I think that, 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 that who knows, that might be a thing. Well, people have um, said that they have, you know, that, that that's happened to them. And I mean, honestly, why would they lie about that? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, when you hear people's accounts of things, it's, it's kind of wild. Totally. Um, but um, I guess the only, the closest thing I've ever come to, um, and it really was terrifying, is I did almost drown once. Oof. And, uh, and that, that was really scary. I was surfing 
with uh, an old girlfriend in Hawaii, and uh, we went out after surfing just to wade out in the waves and got sucked out by a riptide, and we we almost didn't make it back in. And I, she was actually like, she panicked and she was clinging on to me, and she almost like sucked us both down. And there was um, there was no lifeguard or anything where we were because we were dummies and. Um, and so we did almost drown. So if you are ever swimming anywhere where there is not, you know, where there aren't other people and when there's not a lifeguard, uh, please don't do it without taking some kind of float, flotation, something mm. out there with you because it really is incredibly dangerous. And it's, it's amazing that we made it out alive. I mean, we were just right on the edge. So that, wow. that was crazy. And I would say that that's probably the, the, the closest. nearest death experience that I'm aware of. Yeah, and and don't you like when you're in that scenario? Don't you? You're supposed to swim parallel to the beach. I think is right. Is, right. That's totally correct. And I knew that. And in our panic, I totally ignored it. So it's it's amazing when you're put in that kind of situation. How even the things you know and you think if that ever happens to me, I know what to do. I'm gonna do it. And, and we didn't do it. We, we finally eventually did do it. I kind of pulled myself together, and I was like, we have to swim sideways, and we did it, and that's how we got out. Um, Scary, man. But what's, yeah, it was really, like, a pre- pretty fascinating, um, and, like, yeah. So, anyway, that, I would say that that's probably the, the closest thing. But you're right. If you are caught in a riptide, uh, you want to swim parallel to shore until you're out of it. What what happened to us is we were so panicked and we just wanted to get back into shore. So we just kept swimming kept towards swimming. shore, which, yeah. and, and then that just wears you out. And then that's when people drop. Right. Right. Right on. Justin, thank you for taking the time and, and thanks for going over what I had asked you originally for. Uh, we'll see your band anti-flag in Vancouver, May two nine at the wise hall, bad cop, bad cop and grumpster opening up. That's ridiculous, man. Yeah. It's, it's kind of killer. I mean, um, I know that, you know, recently we've been playing some shows with just like some like out of your mind lineups and yeah. um, I'm not taking it for granted. Like I know when I look back on some of these shows, you know, 10, 20 years from now and I'll see a flyer, or I'll look at a lineup. I know that I'm going to be like, wow, that was special. And um, I think that this is definitely going to be one of those shows. Oh yeah. Believe me, man. You're going to love the wise hall, dude. It's freaking amazing great show oh that's that's cool you got me you got me psyched yeah man well we'll see you there i'm literally from the studio where i'm talking to you from right now i'm literally uh five minutes stumbling drunk off my ass to that to that venue <laughs> all right well you'll probably make it then maybe, maybe. <laughs> probably yes right on. thanks again uh, right, for doing this and i guess uh we'll see you yeah. guys online the toddcast podcast on toddhancock.ca My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And together, we run Buffering, a rewatch adventure, a family of podcasts moving through our favorite 90s genre television. If you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, well, great news for you. Our very first podcast adventure took us through all seven seasons of the series. We covered it spoiler-free, episode by episode. For those of you who want to start the show for the first time, you can find that podcast pretty easily. It's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Inside that podcast, you'll also find an original song that pairs with each glorious episode of Buffy and original character jingles for so many of our Buffy favorites. 
buffering has been praised in places like Time, Esquire, Paste Magazine, and the New York Times. And we've chatted with dozens of cast members, writers, directors, and fans along the way. Come hang out and rewatch some of your favorite television with us and a wonderful community of listeners. Learn more at BufferingCast.com or find us on socials at BufferingCast.